Welcome back to another episode of the Startup Therapy Podcast. This is Ryan Rutan, joined as always by my friend and the founder of Startups.com, Will Schroeder. Will, there's a lot of talk right now. I mean, there always has been to some degree, right? This founder liquidity is something that is, has been around for time immemorial. But this conversation seems to be coming up more and more and more frequently. Is that because lots more founders are taking money off the table early? What's going on? Well, I think what's happening is there's just lots more investors. Sure. And, you know, it's it's a good thing, right? It's I mean a net positive, obviously, for all startups is that we've got more people with more checkbooks willing to write more checks. Yeah. The interesting thing that wasn't the case so much before is I think you had a, a really strong kind of core group of folks at the VC level. Mostly what we're going to talk about today is the VC level. But at the VC level, it took a lot of money to get a fund. And there were very few people who could do it. It was very seminal if you got there. You were in rarefied company. I think at one point, it could be, I don't know what the number is now. At one point, there were 800 active VCs. That's not a lot. No, it's not. Because of that, they had the balance of power. And the way to think about this, I think it's important for, for founders to think about this, is when there are fewer investors, think about your local town where there's like six people who can write a check. They get to set the terms. They sure. don't have yep. to compete for shit. On the other hand, when there's 60, right? Or in the case of you know the, the global VC landscape, there's 8,000 and there's not, right, but you know, just right, right. give you an order of magnitude. Now things change because each of those people still has to write checks. They still have to deploy money. They still have to put yep. money to work. But now they're competing with a lot more people who are willing to give a little bit more. And so I think over the past few years, let's say the past five years-ish, the concept of selling secondaries, which of course, it, for those that don't know, is, is when you're selling some of your stock directly to the investors, the concept of selling sec secondaries has become more and more prevalent. But I think what we should talk about today is it's become more and more prevalent isn't the same as, and it's going to happen to you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so right. I think... For anybody that's even thought about this, whether you clearly are in the position to do it or you think you might be, I think let's kind of talk about what it takes to even be able to have that conversation, how investors think about it, how we should think about it, how we should present it, how we should talk through it, and kind of what our expectations should be. All right. So before we get into this next topic, I just want to let you know, what we talk about here is like 1% of the conversation. You know, really this conversation is going on all day long online at groups.startups.com, where Ryan and I pretty much talk endlessly with founders about every one of these topics. So if by the end of this discussion, you like the topic and you want to dig into it a little bit more with Ryan and I, just head to groups.startups.com and we'll pick it up from there. That's fair. So why don't we start with when does this even come up, right? I mean, now it can come up for the founder at a lot of different points. When does this come up in a way that feels palatable to take to anyone else, right? When should we actually start saying these things out loud? How about this? How about we start with when is it not likely the case, right? So, so <laughs> sure. we'll take all the negatives off the table. Yeah. We're not going to have a discussion with investors about taking money off the table almost entirely until we, we're talking to venture capitalists. Right. So if we're talking to angel investors, really people that are going to give us a million, $2 million, we're not taking money off the table. Those yeah. conversations do not happen. <laughs> and if you've heard of somebody or if you're one of the few people that have done it, first off, congratulations. Yeah. Second off, you're a unicorn in your own right because I've never heard of it happen. 
I just had to have this conversation with somebody last week where they were like, they were, they were presenting their, their investment terms and asking what I thought about them. And I was like, okay, it's a seed round. We're raising 500,000 of which 300,000 was the two founders salaries. And I said, so you're raising 200,000. They're like, no, 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 500,000. I was like, you're raising 200,000. <laughs> like, it's not going to happen. Yeah. The problem with this is, and I want to be fair to all the people that are going through this, all the folks listening, et cetera is that you've never done this before. Yep. No one's done this before. So why would you know any of this? No Which is idea. the whole right. reason we're doing this podcast. So essentially what happens is we get to a point in the business where the business has a lot of momentum. Momentum is typically revenue or user signups, or maybe there's something interesting like our IP or something that's sure. got just a lot of momentum and kind of interest in it. By way of that, lots of investors are wanting to invest and things are getting kind of competitive. They're saying, how can we get in this deal? How can we right. kind of beat out our other competitors? That's when that conversation is even a thought. Yep. Until that point, if we're still trying to get anybody to call us back and the one person that calls us back, we're like, ah, we want to take some money off the table. We're going to look insane. Right, right, right. <laughs> the trigger event, the trigger event for having an option to take money off the table is that another investor will lose the deal and that matters to them if they don't give it to you. No investor has any interest whatsoever in giving you money for yourself. Right? Think about that. That benefits the company zero. Now you can say that it helps the founder and kind of gives them a longer term vision, but frankly, that's usually why that conversation happens like three to five years in. Because by that point, the founder is like, hey, I've got to settle in for another seven to 10 years on this right. thing. I want to have a little bit of liquidity and a little yeah. bit of safety along the way. And they've proven that they're willing to stick around and that they're still valuable to the company, all those things, right? So there, there's a whole lot of boxes that get checked before this conversation even becomes close to viable. The only time it gets accelerated, in, in other words, it's still at the VC level, but the only yeah. time this gets accelerated where folks are maybe two years in and they're already talking about secondary, Travis, the founder of Bird, uh, okay. who actually yep. came from Lyft and not that Travis, the other Travis, yep. uh, that, that, that founded Bird. There was a moment where Bird was going from like zero to $2 billion in valuation in like 18 to 24 months. And if I recall, my numbers could be off here, but I think he took like 40 million off the table, right? That, yep. That's what I had heard. Right. I don't know this for a fact. Yep. I wasn't on their boards. So I wouldn't know, but that's what I had heard. And so people who look at it from the outside, they'll read a TechCrunch article or something, and they'll say, oh man, look at this, two years in, the guy's already taking money off the table. No. Yeah. If your deal looks like birds did at the time, yeah. and it was just in the hype of Uber, and it was just in the hype of what things could be, incidentally, it was pre-COVID, which was like you know a destroying moment for them. Yes, it was. Um, or I'll give you another more recent example, Clubhouse. Right, yeah. which was you know the, the, the MySpace of, of its own product <laughs> oh, evolution, man. right? Not not the moniker that you want to get. Yeah, yeah. Well, look, but so they go from zero to a four billion dollar valuation uh, in a similar time period, which is hard yeah. to do. You it are is. one of very few people that yeah. ever get to do that. So while it sounds like I may be making a knock here, I've never done it. So right. <laughs> like it's not like, like 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 it's a common thing. Point is at that moment where all of a sudden the investors feel like the deal's getting away from them. Sure. If you watch a company like Bird or Clubhouse, forget about what happened to them, right? That's, that's here and there. But if you watch a company like that, go to Stratosphere. As an investor, you want to be on that train. 
And if that means you've got to stroke a $40 million personal check, which is pretty anomalous, by the way, but you've got to stroke a $40 million personal check to the founder to get it, who cares? Exactly. At the rate the deal's going and if the terms you're getting in, it's actually a small price to pay. But it brings us back to the point is, is that even likely? And the answer is no. There's a 0.0001% chance that you're going to be in that conversation. So I think part of this is just kind of set in those terms. Sure. No, it totally makes sense. So we got to achieve some traction. We got to have some momentum. We have to be an extremely competitive deal. And then this just opens the the door for possibility, right? So again, we're, we're talking about a very, very small number of deals that actually apply for this. Yeah. Also, Ryan, figure it's got to be relative to how much you're raising. Let's yeah. talk about that. Sure. So if I'm Bird and I'm raising $500 million, right, then $40 million may not seem like that much. It's right. still a lot of money. 8%, right? But it's not it's not half the raise. Like the right. example but if I'm doing a $2 million earlier. safe note and I'm talking about taking money off the table, <laughs> that's like literally all money <laughs> that has to go somewhere, right? There's, right. there's nothing fungible yeah. in that raise whatsoever. And it also looks like if I'm the investor and I'm looking to get into this deal and I figure if I give you, let's say $100 million at a $500 million valuation, but I think within a year, the valuation is going to go from 500 million to a billion or 2 billion, et cetera. Then the 10 million I parted with, sort of who cares? Because the markup is going to happen so fast. My money is going to be worth twice as much, right? Again, small price to pay. But if I'm talking a $2 million round, right? And the company's worth 10 million. And if things go crazy, soon it might be worth 30 million. Right. I'm not getting rich off those deltas, right? That's that's not enough for, for me to bet on or put to work. Another important point here, well, and I don't want to, I don't want to lose this, right? Just for what it's worth, yes, there. This isn't something investors love to do, but to, to go back to your example there, in that case where they feel like that is, you know, the investment's going to double, the investor is still getting their upside from that money, right? And so I think that is something important to note. The upside's still there. What's taken away in this case is that money being a utility within the business, right? And I think that's important. We, we want to look at this from both sides of the table. So that's what the investor is seeing. They're saying, hey, 8% of this money isn't going to be put towards growing this thing, which I assume is meaningful towards creating its the upside that I want in the first place, right? So yes, the investors still have the upside because I heard somebody, there was an argument a couple of weeks ago that I was listening in on and they were talking about the fact that like, this is like getting an overmarket ask for your house. And I was like, not not really. <laughs> in that case, that's money that just literally goes to nowhere, right? You're just paying more for something. In this case, it's we're paying the same amount for the investor. It's just going somewhere different. It's going to be utilized differently. I will still have the same upside from that 8%. If the company goes from 500 million to a billion, that 8% is now worth 16%, right? It just doubled in value in the same way the company doubled in value. And so that part is hold static. It's held static, right? But the, the part that's not is that 8% is not being put to work, right? And to your point, at early stages in the business, it all has a use, right? There's no like, imagine, hey, hey, startups, take 8% out of your current budget and tell me how that looks, right? Can you afford to just peel 8% out? No, we can't, right? So stage has a lot to do with this. It also, the raise amount has a lot to do with this. Sure. So let's dig into that. Yep. If I'm raising $10 million, it's just not that, just what you're saying, it's just not that much money. Correct. So it's also, it's all relative where I say, hey, I'm going to take a million dollars off the table. Now, yep. to be fair, a million dollars is a billion dollars if you don't have it. 
right? right. So a lot of people will look at that and say, <laughs> oh, it's not a lot of money. And we've had whole podcasts over this. Yes. <laughs> yes. It's a lot of money it's if you don't have it. That said, it's also a lot of money relative to a $10 million investment. Correct. Again, you kind of need every penny of that. Yep. When you start getting into bigger numbers, 20, 50, 100, 200, et cetera, then the Delta, I hate to say it, but it kind of doesn't matter. If you're raising $100 million and you take $10 million off the table, I'm not saying $10 million can't be used, right? And of course you can, but you still have $90 million to put to right. work, which is just yep. an ungodly amount of money. So a lot of this discussion as far as where it's predicated is how much are we even asking for intending to raise? And how is how is this, again, this, this certain amount, a relative you know percentage of that money? So yep. in other words, we're saying if it's, 20 million that I'm raising and I'm looking to take a million off the table, I probably won't be missing. But if I'm looking to take 5 million off the table, we're going to notice that relative to yep. the raise. Yep. Yeah. So part of where this discussion starts to happen is just frankly, when you're raising enough money to even bring it up. If you're raising $50 million, you can take some money off the table. If you're raising five, you cannot. And so Part of that is at which point you can raise $50 million, chances are you have the traction or the milestones or, or yes. the, the market intuition there in order for people to say, oh yeah, you know, I, I want to get in on that deal. One other point I'll make, and Ryan, you and I talked about this a while back. Once you get to the point where you can raise 20, 50, $100 million, there are a very small number of you. Yep. So if we talk about supply and demand, on the demand side, from the investor standpoint, they all want deals at that level because right. that indicates that this deal's got some traction and could have an outcome. On the supply side, there are fundamentally very few startups yes. that ever get into that position. Yep. So for the first time as a founder, you're finally in a position where you can dictate some terms because for the first time in ever, and probably the last time you ever get to do this, you control supply. That's it. You're on the scarcity side of things, right? And yeah, now contrast that to being, you know, a, a startup at the early stage trying to raise a $500,000 pre-seed or seed round, right? There are a lot of you. There are a lot of you. And perhaps even more importantly, you all look about the same, right? Lack traction, you, you probably haven't gotten full, you know, product market fit yet. You're probably not at break even, or you might not even be at revenue yet. You might not even have a product in hand. And so, you know, you all look about the same. And that's to say, you also don't look particularly attractive. Right? So, and there's a ton of you. So rate is totally fine, but that is that that's the reason why things like this aren't possible. Yes, it's possible to go raise a seed round. No, it's not possible to say, well, hey, look, if you can take 10% off at a $50 million raise and take 5 million off the table, we're just going to carve out, you know, 10% of this, of this $500,000 round and take $50,000 off the table. It's not the same thing. The math's the same. The sentiment is very different. You kind of look kind of ridiculous. So with that said, <laughs> more than a little, yeah, let's talk about who you'd even talk to about this first, because I sure. think if, if you're kind of on the fence and you're saying, hey, I guess what these guys are saying maybe makes sense, but I'm still a little bit unsure. Yeah. Let's make sure you don't make an ass of yourself. Let's ask anybody but our investors first, right? Like get the get the sanity check with an advisor, with somebody who's not tied to the cap table, particularly from an investment standpoint, maybe your co-founder, right? That, that'd be fine. But please don't just go and ask all your investors without getting a sense check on this first. 
we've talked about this before, where we've talked about how to approach call your advisory board, if you have one. And usually by the time you'd be having this conversation, you've had some previous investors and by way of that, some somebody that's a board member. So you likely have investors to talk to. And what you want to do long before you even consider this is you want to pull one of those advisors aside and say, I don't know that this is the right time for this conversation and I'm okay with that. But can you talk to me a little bit about when and how a secondary sale, or again, taking somebody off the table, would come to play? What do you think we'd have to do in order for that to be a conversation? And I think what's important about that is what you just said, Ryan, someone that's not us, yeah. right? More specifically, not another founder either, because another yeah. founder can give you good advice, but that advisor is on the inside of this. Yes, They know exactly what the company looks like. More importantly, they have a pretty good sense right. for when people respond why they're going to say, oh yeah, the traction isn't what this person thinks it is. We just need to get out of our own heads. We need to put this in front of someone else and start to have that conversation. You know, by the way, I just want to mention if what we're talking about today sounds like the kind of discussion you wish you were having more often, you actually can. You know, we're online all day, every day, working through exactly these types of topics with founders just like you. So, any question you would have or maybe some problem you just want to work through, we're here and we love this stuff. And we're easy to find. You know, head over to groups.startups.com and let's just start talking. Yeah. Be prepared for stifled laughter or uh, long exhales, people leaning back, running their hands through their hair. Like there's a lot of reactions that you're likely to get when you first pose this question. And they're probably not just holding out their hand for a high five, right? Like this isn't an alley-oop, right? No, this is a tough conversation, regardless of when you have it, right? I mean, you know, as we said, there there's a point in time where it becomes possible, but I'm not sure that I've ever seen a scenario whereby I would have said that was an easy ask. Right. And so the who matters a ton here um, in terms of seeding this and, and having some chance at moving forward. Typically, by the time we're ready to have that conversation, again, we're, we're going to present it to an advisor, et cetera. There's been some sense that this thing's pretty competitive. Pretty competitive isn't there's two people yes. that are interested in our deal. Pretty competitive is we're being called on on a regular basis yeah. because people want to invest in our deal. This isn't a good parallel. But we've talked about this before. Ryan, we get called on like three times a week for companies that want to invest in us or buy us out. Now, yep. before I before I get into any of that, I just want to be clear. That's not because we're special. We are not. I, we're just on every friggin' list by now. Right? Yep. <laughs> We've just been around long been around enough. Long enough. Yep. Every associate or GP or P or whatever has us on a list somewhere and yep. call. And if you're listening to this and you're one of those, welcome to the list. But but that said, email will not me. I don't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they do. But my, my point, the reason I'm bringing this up is because just because all of those people are calling us and emailing us and saying, hey, we're interested, that doesn't mean that we're in a competitive situation. That means lots of people have expressed interest. Yep. Translation, that doesn't mean squat. No. <laughs> where that becomes different, where that goes from, hey, a lot of people sound interested to, hey, I should be having this conversation is when we start looking at term sheets, when yeah. people have looked at our business and looked at the outcomes and looked at uh, what they would offer. And we realize that these offers are starting to go really high, really fast. And there's an opportunity there. Yes. But just feeling like a lot of people might be interested doesn't qualify, right? Yeah. It, just, it doesn't put us anywhere. As far as I'm concerned, we don't have anything until somebody hands us real money for it. And yeah. I think we need to be sober about that. 
Yeah, up until that point, it's just associates checking for proof of life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Still exists. Exactly. Is there somebody there I could potentially talk to? Do you want to send me some information that maybe I can take to a partner? Yeah, they're, they're not particularly serious conversations. But here's the thing: I think I think founders feel guilty about even posing the conversation because it feels like, well, I'm not really doing right by the startup if I'm taking money for myself. Sure. Just to be clear. That's the whole freaking reason you started this thing, right? Was to, right. was to be able to have an outcome, right? And now I'm not saying at the expense of everyone else at all, but I'm saying you shouldn't feel guilty about having an outcome from the very thing that you built. Right. On the other hand. It's the reason they put their money in. Yes, exactly. Everybody else is there for their own benefit, right? Now, again, this isn't the same as saying, I want to take money at the expense of everybody else. It's not that. What I'm saying is you should be able to have the conversation if you know who to ask, again, yeah. your advisors, and if you know how to ask, which I, I think we should kind of like expand upon a little bit to give people, if not a script, then a general idea of what's appropriate to start bringing this conversation to the table. But before we go on to the how to ask, and, and I think that some of this will get included there, but before we go on to that, you touched on something a second ago, which is like, how do we feel in all this, right? And I'd like to stick on that for a second, because I think this is an important component of all of this, right? which is that where is the founder sentiment? Like, what are these feelings that are either pulling us towards this ask, which is like, you know, maybe the pull is like, I've been working really hard. Like I, you know, I've, I wanted to create an outcome. I've created a lot of the outcome. I haven't com completed the arc yet, but I've done a lot here and I'm being pulled towards asking this question, right? Then there are other times where like, I'm talking to founders are like, look, I gotta take some money off the table. Like I, you know, I've, I'm still carrying personal debt. I'm still like, there's all of these other things, these negative pressures that are pushing me towards doing this. And because I think that this sometimes gets baked into the how we ask and it not always positively, right? I've seen this conversation go, go sideways because somebody comes with what sounds like a bunch of complaints and desperation, which just generally isn't an awesome cologne, right? And now not to say that it isn't true and not to say that those aren't valid reasons for wanting to take money off the table. But I think as we get into the how kind of trying to remember where we're coming from and what these founder sentiments are and how we can appropriately couch those feelings as we have these conversations is pretty important. I think we're looking at two different things. One is we're looking at how to de-risk the future a little bit. Yep. I want to build something great, but look, it's going to take me seven to 10 years. I yeah. have no idea how this is going to turn out. No one does. And this is my whole life. I have no other bets here. I have one yep. single bet. This bet doesn't work out. I am completely stuck. Yep. Everyone else can go do something else. I am actually in a really, really shit situation. Okay. So that's one, de-risking the future. The second is really just making up for the past. Right. By the time I got here, I am so broke and so depleted at so many levels that I have to be able to backfill some. So in other words, I'm already standing in a hole right, yep. where I was on level ground when I started. Yep. And I'm just trying to, one, get out of some of that hole, right? So I'm not in, in such a negative position and try to de-risk some of the future. Anybody would want to do that. It's a yep. totally reasonable ask. How we ask it also matters. If we come across like we're just being greedy or, or opportunistic, it's not going to work. On the other hand, this is the fun part. If we're just straight up honest, right? And we're like, hey, here's where I'm at. Here's what it took to get here. And here's again all, all the the debt. You don't have to go into detail, but people right. kind of get this, right? Here's how much of a hole I dug to get here. And here's how much uncertainty I have about the future. Neither of which plays well to me building a great enterprise. Correct. There's what I believe is becoming, thankfully, a very dated 
concept among investors that the way to build a successful company is to string out the founder. Yeah. I want the founder hungry. I yeah. want the founder so that this is the only thing that they're thinking about. I want all of their chips on this, et cetera. That sounds awesome for the investor. Yes. It does not sound awesome for the founder. Imagine if we flipped that. Imagine if we said, I only want investors where they've put all of their life savings into this startup. <laughs> you got to have some skin in the game, by which I mean your entire body. Yeah. They are screwed. They have yeah. no other investments. This is yeah. where they're putting all of their money, right? You would sound like a complete a-hole. Yeah. And yeah. yet, is that exactly what investors are saying? That's, that's pretty much it. Yeah. That's so the, the, rule, right? <laughs> the, the point is, first off, that whole thing is, is going to die a long overdue death. That whole yeah. concept of let's run founders into the ground and you know uh, bury their carcasses as we go. Those right. days are over. But that's a different, <laughs> different podcast. But the fact that we've got all of our chips on this, the fact that we want just a little bit of stability and heaven forbid, a little bit of safety to build from, yeah. Because we have lives, we have families, we have right. you know consequences like everyone else. Everyone else expects to get a paycheck for their work. It shouldn't be unreasonable for us to expect the same. But all that said, <laughs> how we're going to go about it is kind of this simple. Number one, we're going to pull that in, in our friendly advisor aside. And we're going to say, here's what I'm looking at. In this next raise, it would mean a lot to me. It would be of primary importance to me to be able to create a little bit of liquidity because I need a little bit of safety and I need to plan for some things in the future. I realize this will be a five to 10 year run if things go well and maybe longer otherwise. And I'm in, I'm all like, my, I'm, my focus is nowhere else. But while I'm putting all my focus there at work, I need to make sure that at a personal level, I'm not going home bankrupt every day. Right. Because right, that right. actually, that provides no incentive for me as much as you think it does. If anything, it's a massive distraction. Stick with that. It's a massive distraction. Huge, right? If you're worried about how ends are going to meet, you know, how much time are you spending thinking about how do I grow this business, right? Out of desperation. Not yeah, a good absolutely. I don't want to be making decisions out of desperation. Yep. You don't want that. That doesn't make me a better founder, a decision yep. maker, or a leader. I don't want to be spending, again, all my time distracted by the fact that I can't get by in life. How much time do we spend, Ryan, with founders talking about on two sides of the continuum. On one side is how safe and happy and well-adjusted they are. And on the other end, how terrified they are at every waking moment. <laughs> when the former happens, I'll be able to calculate that for you, Will. But Yeah, yeah, exactly. Happen. As I was thinking about it, I was like, wow, that doesn't even exist. That is uh, some Shangri-La non-existing. <laughs> yeah. So from the investor standpoint, when the time comes, and again, you know, the liquidity could potentially be there, we should be supporting that. We should say, yes, Mr. Founder, Mrs. Founder, we want to make sure that you have some stability so that you're ready for the long haul. We don't need yeah. to get you crazy rich. We don't need to give Travis $40 million. That doesn't make any, like, hell, if he can get it, get it. Right? Yeah, right. <laughs> but short of that, we don't have to do that. But we should be mindful that if we're planning on putting you in a position to grow and be successful over the next five to 10 years, we should make sure that if we can, that you're in a position where you're comfortable moving that forward and you're not leveraged the entire time. I don't yeah. think that's a, that's a positive stance.
No, I don't think it is either. I, I want to touch on something else here, which you, you brought up. It's a part of the win. We didn't address this during the win to ask, but I think this is, is pretty typical and you, you referenced it here, which is that when we're thinking about raising the next round, right? This is not typically, and again, it, it has happened, not very often, but this isn't something that usually just happens out of the blue. Like you're, you know, you, you raised your last round three years ago, you're not playing on raising another round. All of a sudden you're like, hey, anybody want to, you know, buy out some stock in a secondary? That's typically not when this happens, right? The, the typical uh, time to have this conversation and the how, as you, as you stated, is when we're approaching that next round, right? And you start to set the stage at that point. When you know that you're going to be raising again, that is, that is a good time to bring that up, right? And I think that's, that was something that we missed. The other side of it is at which point you're making the, the other investors money, they yeah. like you. <laughs> so, <laughs> so if in your seed round, right? You raised $2 million at a $10 million valuation, you know, however you price it in your note. And now you're raising $10 million at a $50 million valuation. You just got a 5X markup for all of those investors. They like you, maybe more, right? Depending on how you did it. Now let's take it further. Now you're doing your next round and maybe it's a B round or maybe it's a large A round. Just the round size has changed so much anymore. But and now you're raising $50 million on a $300 million valuation or maybe more, maybe a $500 million valuation. You just had a massive markup for all yeah. of those investors. They yep. like that. They like you. Yeah. You're in good favor. They're far more willing to get on board with rewarding you for the fact that you've rewarded them. Correct. If you're rewarding them, if you're raising money in a down round, <laughs> this is the opposite of that. You are not yeah. rewarding them, right? Not, not the time to ask. It's my broker calling yep. me up and saying, hey, Will, we just lost 10% on your portfolio. I'm going to jack up my rates this year. Yeah, that's, that's the wrong time yeah. to ask that question, right? With that said, we have to be mindful of when we have that momentum. But also, we have to be mindful, this is on positive, if we've created a lot of value, then we deserve to be rewarded. Correct. So if we get a company that goes to, let's say, a billion-dollar valuation, we deserve to be rewarded. There are tens of people that are going to do that this year. And if we're one of the few, no different than a CEO at a public company who's increased the market cap of that company significantly gets rewarded way more than we'll ever get rewarded for incidentally moving things in the same direction. And since we're doing it out of nothing, the CEO at least had resources at a public company. We're doing it from something from nothing. Right. We deserve to get rewarded. It doesn't mean we need to be cocky about it. It just means when we create value and by virtue of that, where we create value for others, that's what we're getting paid for. And yes, we deserve a reward. And while historically, there was only one time you were allowed to do it, on the day you sell or the day you go IPO. Up until then, go after yourself, right? Those days, thankfully, aren't the same anymore. We've got a couple opportunities as this thing starts to go up and to the right where we can create a little bit of liquidity. Doesn't mean we need to get retirement wealthy, but a little bit of cash to kind of help things along, to pay back some debt or you know, to buy a house or you know, whatever, or all the, all the things that we want to do. If we can do that, we absolutely should. I think that's fair. You know what I mean? No, it absolutely is. And, and I, I want to I touch on something here because I've, I've seen this in the past. This is not necessarily obvious. This isn't money coming from a free bucket of founder money, right? This isn't, this isn't money coming out of nowhere. There is a give here as well, right? This is a secondary. So you are giving up equity, right? Which that you then intend to go and make more valuable. You're giving up that future value of that equity, Right. So we, we want to remember this. You said this once, Will, and I, I thought it was brilliant. It was that, you know, equity can seem like a really, you know, invaluable currency at different points. And of course, as the as the company grows, it becomes more and more valuable and becomes more and more obvious. 
but the way you put it was really interesting, which is that that equity represents 100% of the future value of the company. There will never be more, right? That is the value of the company. So as we give that up, we're giving up 100% of that future value. And so not for nothing, but founders misunderstand this, right? They think like, the, oh, owner liquidity. That was the, the free money pool that I just got some money from nowhere, right? No, <laughs> you're giving something up to get that money, right? And so, yes, taking 40 million off the table feels great, unless you forex the valuation in the next two years, and now it was 160 million, right? Very different sentiment at that point. So yes, take it if you can get it, but be mindful of what you're doing too, right? I'm not saying don't take money off the table. It's just also such a rare situation that most of us aren't gonna have to worry about. Well, <laughs> we're all working toward, <laughs> toward that problem. Yeah. Here's what I think it comes down to. I think that for most of us, as we're thinking about secondary, thinking about taking money off the table, it's probably not an appropriate conversation. The right. only time that we're ever going to be in a position where we get to kind of make that call and say, we really think that this is an appropriate time for us to be able to take some money off the table to kind of create some liquidity for us, for our team, ideally, and make that call is when the companies hit a meaningful threshold sure. where lots of investors are clamoring to get in this deal and they're willing to outbid each other by virtue of the secondary in order to get it. It also means that they believe that buying that secondary directly from you is the fastest way that they'll create more liquidity because yeah. they feel like this thing is going to have a sale or an exit in the not too distant future. And very few companies get to that threshold. So what I would say is if you get to this point, and we hope that you do, it's the dream. We yeah. hope that you do. If you get to that point, you've earned it. Correct. You should not feel like anybody's giving you a handout or doing you a favor the only reason you're sitting in that seat and taking that money is because you've earned it. You've earned every nickel of that. And you should be damned if anybody will prevent you from asking for it. All right. So that was fun. But let's actually keep this conversation going. You've heard what we think about this. But, you know, Ryan and I would really like to hear what you think. And we're online like all day long, pretty much talking about every startup topic you could think of from fundraising to customer acquisition to just really how to get all of this crazy startup stuff out of your head. And there's tons of other founders just like you. They're weighing in on these topics. So you'll get a chance to just hang out and meet some really smart founders. We're also super, super easy to find. You head over to groups.startups.com and let Ryan and I hear what's on your mind. Let's get to know each other a little bit and let's just start having more of these conversations.